listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons. Today, my guest on the podcast is Ricardo Fajardo, who's joining us to talk about teaching a specific type of English class, exam preparation. Ricardo has been a teacher of English for 24 years and a teacher trainer for the last 12 years. He's currently a CELTA tutor and assessor, which has given him the chance to travel as well as help and learn from other centers. He's also an ICELT and DELTA tutor and works as a freelancer in different projects, such as writing materials for course books or helping teachers remotely as an online consultant. He's an accredited IELTS examiner, as well as a Cambridge CET, PET, FCE, CAE, and CPE oral examiner, so clearly he has a good deal of experience with proficiency exams and exactly what students need to know in order to succeed on them. In our conversation today, we're discussing tips for teaching exam preparation classes and how we might transfer or adapt these strategies to work for online classes as well. Before we get to the interview, don't forget that we're currently offering a series of free webinars. At the time of recording this, May 2020, we're doing a different online workshop every Friday to offer free professional development for English language teachers. The next webinar is this coming Friday, May 15th, and the workshop is all about how to teach reading lessons online. We've had a great turnout so far, so I do hope you can join us. You can register to save your spot at tefelhorizons.com webinars. And now I'm happy to welcome our guest, Ricardo Fajardo. Ricardo, thank you so much for being here. I'll let you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm based actually in Mexico City. Most of the times I'm here, but I travel sometimes because uh, some of my duties actually involve traveling as I am um, a tutor and I am a shelter assessor as well. So sometimes I have to travel. Um, what I do mainly is tutoring. I participate in courses like TKT, uh, CELTA, also CAM courses. CAM is a certificate in advanced methodology. And also I do some collaboration with Delta Modules 1 and two, that's mainly what I do. Excellent, all right. Um, so for this episode in particular, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation because we are talking today about exam preparation, which is kind of my pet project that I like in, in ELT. Uh, I love talking about teaching exams. Um, but for anybody who isn't familiar with this idea of these big proficiency exams, can you briefly describe for us what what exams we're talking about? Sure. I mean, there are many kinds of tests, of course. I mean, sometimes we have like kind of internal tests in schools and everything, but these are different. Proficiency tests mainly are those that students take in order to find out how good they are at a specific language. In this case, for mm -hmm. English, some of the most common exams at Cambridge actually have are, uh, for example, the first certificate in English, also known as FCE, or maybe CAE, the certificate in advanced English, and the like. Uh, these are validated by the University of Cambridge, but we have other exams like TOEFL, for example, which many students actually take to enter universities, or IELTS. Yes, IELTS is now a big exam as well, and people usually take it to maybe study abroad or work abroad or even live abroad. Absolutely. And if you're listening and you aren't familiar with these, I'll put a link in the show notes 
to where you can find a little bit more information about these different kinds of exams. Um, but right, just to clarify, when we are talking about proficiency exams, we're not talking about tests that teachers give in their individual classrooms. We're talking about these big sort of global exams, uh, official exams that learners can take to prove their level of English. Kind of like, you know, think about the GRE or SATs that we would take in the United States. It's a test like that, but for English learners. Um, okay, so obviously if we're teaching preparation classes for these particular types of exams, it's going to be a little bit different than teaching a general English class. So could you speak a little bit to the difference between teaching specifically exam preparation versus just teaching English? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so first of all, I mean, to start maybe making the differences clearly, mm -hmm. uh, when we teach general English, we normally try to maybe have a balance between the systems and the skills that we teach. That is that we teach a little bit of grammar, we teach a little bit of lexis, uh, and then we do a little bit of listening, a little bit of reading, and so on and so forth. We try to give students exposure of all the systems and all the skills. This is what we generally do in general English lessons, as mm -hmm. opposed to exam preparations, where first of all, as teachers, we need to get to know the exams. We need to know the sections. We need to know different components. What is really being assessed? Because then we need to kind of cherry pick which sub skills, so to speak, students need to develop or maybe to strengthen to better succeed at these exams. For example, we have plenty of options for reading, but maybe exam only maybe assesses two sub-skills as opposed to the 10 or 20 sub-skills that reading has. So we need to be aware of the different sections, again, just to reiterate, the different sections of the exam, the components, what it's being assessed, and then to identify which sub-skills that particular exam is demanding the student to actually show that they can handle, if that makes sense. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first step is really understanding what the exam is testing and what the content of the exam is so that you know specifically what to focus on. Exactly. Uh, and then every exam is different. So definitely whoever is trying to prepare students for this needs to get familiar with this. And if I mean, sometimes I even suggest this, if you can even sit the test, why not? Because it will give you a kind of yeah, really good experience in order uh, to say how students might feel once they are sitting the test themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. The more you know about the exam, the more you're going to understand about the experience the student will have when taking the exam. Um, and so most of the big exams test similar things uh, like IELTS, TOEFL, the Cambridge exams. Most of them are primarily focused, I would say, on the four skills. So reading, writing, speaking, and listening. There isn't usually like an explicit grammar testing section the grammar is just kind of inherently tested through the speaking and the writing and all of that, but they're all structured a slightly different way. So the way that IELTS does the speaking section is different than the way the TOEFL exam does the speaking section. And you have to know that in order to prepare your students adequately. Absolutely, yes, I agree with that. Because uh, as I said before, I mean, every exam is different and maybe TOEFL will actually focus on some sub skills of speaking as opposed to those in IELTS. So they are focusing on mm -hmm. speaking as well, but maybe on other areas. For example, I mean, this is maybe just an example, but uh, IELTS could be a little bit more, more focused on accuracy and the use of grammar, so to speak. And maybe TOEFL will focus more on fluency, kind of how you communicate ideas or how you interact with others. So I'm not saying this, this is the case, 
but just to exemplify, but right. definitely exams focus on different soft skills. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what should teachers know if they're teaching an exam prep class for the first time? Well, um, whew, there are so many <laughs> It's a lot, right? So aside yeah, from just knowing yeah. the exam, any yeah, other exactly. advice you could give like a first time exam prep teacher? Yeah. Um, basically, I mean, as I said, I mean, you need to um, uh, talk to students um, because um, different students will have like kind of a different levels of English mm -hmm. in this case already. So maybe the first thing that they have to do is to gauge the current level of English they've got because that's going to give uh, the teacher some information in terms of what to prioritize. Even when we are doing prepping for a certain exam, I mean, uh, a learner might need more help in writing than in speaking. So this is just the case as in any uh, other exam. But I mean, we need to make sure that we are prioritizing the areas that the students need to, to be stronger at, so to speak. Because sometimes if we just give the same percentage to every single skill, we might not be tackling students' needs, if that makes sense. Right. And you're going to have students who are, you know, some students maybe who are very confident in speaking, but not so strong in writing or vice versa. And so it doesn't make sense to spend a lot of time in the areas where the students are already very strong and ignore the areas where they're not. You want to go the other way around and obviously prioritize the areas where they need more help and they need more development. Absolutely. I would suggest maybe conducting some needs analysis. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, some questionnaires, maybe just a quick talk or conversation with students. And even why not to give them a mock test of that exam exactly. and to see what happens. I mean, they, they don't know what's going to happen. I mean, uh, obviously, they might actually be very, very good or maybe very, very bad. But that will be an indication for the teacher also to know which areas they need to strengthen more. Right. And if the students are also not super familiar with the exam, you know, they might have an idea of which areas they're stronger in or more confident in or not, but they don't actually know how difficult each section of the exam is going to be until they try it. Um, so yeah, like you said, they might not really know how well they're going to do until they actually take a mock exam. Um, if you're listening, most course books, like exam preparation books, like you can find a TOEFL preparation book, they will actually have mock exams or practice exams included. And that's a great thing to give your students as kind of a needs analysis or a diagnostic test at the beginning of your lessons together to get a sense of exactly where the students are doing well and exactly where they need more help. Definitely. Yeah, so you could have maybe one or two sessions in which you can actually test or gauge mm -hmm. the level. And you can obviously um, assess this in different sessions. For example, you can do the writing and then the speaking and then the reading. And then uh, by analyzing everything together, like data collection, uh, you're going to determine kind of priorities for the preparation as such. Yes, exactly. And I think why prioritizing is so important, at least in my experience, is it's you know, with general English, students don't necessarily have a very strict timeline. They're just interested in learning English. And as long as they're making right. progress week to week or day to day, they're satisfied. But with exam prep students, it's very common for them to have a, a very set time frame. There's a date that they have in mind when they want to take the exam or when they need to have this official proof kind of ready. Um, so it's common to get students who say things like, okay, I want to take this exam in six weeks, you know, and this is what I need to be ready to do. This is the score I need to be able to get in six weeks time or two weeks time or, you know, six months time or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
So that's why I think prioritizing is especially important that you just don't have the time to spend on things that they don't really need. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously you need to do the best with the amount of time that you've got, but also I think, I mean, this is my, my opinion. Um, obviously if they give you a time and then you notice that maybe within that time, they might not be ready to get that score. You also need to let them know, uh, mm -hmm. because I mean, as, as teachers and as professionals, they need to know that actually making solid progress takes some time and right. they need to actually be aware of this. So for example, if they say, you know, I need to actually see the test in two weeks time, but you see that two weeks is not enough. <laughs> yeah. You have to tell them, I mean, you know, at least we need four or five weeks actually to try and reach maybe the um the, the points that you need or the score that you need because i think that they will appreciate that you are sincere and that you are telling them the truth and then they will actually maybe be more motivated to be better prepared for the test that's a great point i think there is a bit of managing expectations that goes into exam preparation teaching that's a bit different from general english yeah and and now that you mentioned that as well obviously in terms of um, managing time um another kind of a typical misinterpretation or something that people or students uh, misinterpret is that uh, they just need to know the exam and that's it. Not right. quite. Some, sometimes, first of all, we need to make sure that they've got sufficient level of English already to even try the preparation as such, because yep. sometimes they're not kind of near the level that is needed or that is expected. So sometimes they first need to maybe improve their level of English as such and then just get a preparation course to try and improve their score once they have improved grammar, lexis, and the other things that we were talking about in general English. Exactly. Like there's a certain level of vocabulary, I would say, of grammar and definitely of fluency. So uh, receptive abilities like reading and listening comprehension and productive abilities, speaking and, and writing fluency that's needed, I think, before an exam prep course is even really feasible. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So it might be something where if the student's expectations are really off, they need to just pursue a general English course first to kind of get up to that level where exam preparation makes sense. Mm -hmm. I agree to that. So we've talked about some strategies for teaching exam preparation. How would you say those strategies work in an online format? So can we use similar strategies when we're teaching exam preparation online or are there other methods you can recommend? Sure. I mean, um, we can adapt things, obviously, but mm -hmm. sometimes actually for teachers not to be afraid of this, um, they need to know that there are more similarities and differences. It's just that maybe we're not accustomed to teaching online. But let, let me first uh, mention some similarities. For example, I mean, we need to plan for the lesson, of course. We need to prepare mm -hmm. our stages. We need to know that we need kind of a, a leading, a starting point for the lesson. We need uh, maybe a stage where we explain the different um, strategies for the exam. Then we need some practice. So the lesson planning is there. Then obviously we need to allow some time for the practice and allow some time for feedback. So these are things that are already happening face to face. Um, so there are many things that are there. Maybe some differences, I mean, to mention some, uh, interaction patterns could be a little bit harder uh, because obviously, I mean, now that we depend on the internet, maybe a good connection, uh, maybe uh, when we are interacting with our students, especially we have a large group, um, then connection could be a problem and then we should maybe waste some time there or it could be a little bit harder to monitor students. So interaction patterns and monitoring could be slightly harder, but this is still doable, mm -hmm. right? And another thing that I have noticed online 
is that we normally cover a little bit less in terms of materials and in terms of content than that that we're doing face-to-face. -face. Again, because we might need to invest more time in, first of all, connecting, allowing students to connect in our platform, yes, uh, or maybe we have some IT issues at the moment we are explaining something. Uh, another problem could be the IT literacy level uh, that learners have already, so we might need to explain how to use uh, one of the tools online. So more than how we plan the lesson, is things that have to do with IT and managing those that might be different when we teach online. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So are there any ways specifically you think that we could help students practice speaking and writing even online? Because I think that's one of the more intimidating areas for a lot of teachers um, in terms of, you know, getting students to produce language through this online format. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, especially the former, I mean, speaking, uh, speaking is the one that we can actually do more of because uh, being online, the, the one thing that we have to do more of is speak already. Right. So, uh, and, and obviously it will be very good practice for, for the learner because they will actually listen to us, but we can actually organize. I mean, uh, the good thing about doing it online, we can organize one-to-one uh, -one practice with the learners and we can give them a tailor-made feedback on the sport. Yes, um, we can actually, when, when we are using uh, an online platform, we can actually break this down into different um, groups and we can monitor, mm -hmm. yes. Um, but obviously they need models. Um, so what okay. we can do online is always to provide a model. Maybe we can include a short audio and or video of the task itself. Maybe a teacher can actually record their own version of the task. So they have an idea of the length, the, the grammar expected, the vocabulary expected, and so on and so forth. Then you explain what they have to do, and then they do it and you provide some feedback. But I think that examples are very important. Because mm -hmm. let us remember that uh, students actually um, need to, I mean, in, in the classroom, is see, in this case, they need to hear a clear sample of what's being expected. As for writing, I mean, that, that's also point. possible. Yeah. And as for writing, it's also possible to do this, especially, I mean, uh, if we use, uh, if we're familiar with this, is the model approach to teaching writing. That is for those that maybe are not familiar with this, is that we, we need to show maybe through our screen sharing yeah, so we need to show a model and then we need to analyze the different sections. We need to help students, again, identify lexis, grammar, functional language that they need to do. And then we need to give them some time to produce a piece of writing and then we can actually provide feedback. Feedback for writing could work in many different ways, though, um, because it could be on the spot. Yes, it could be like, mm -hmm. okay, guys, I'm going to... Um, create some teams are going to help each other analyze maybe some errors together or you can actually um, revise all of those yourself as a teacher and then provide more specific feedback individually so feedback would be handled in different ways but I think that for both speaking and writing what students need a lot is samples because I mean they need to make sure that they understand what's been expected especially for testing because there are uh, very specific aspects mm -hmm. that examiners will look at. So if we do not prepare them for those, I mean, they might be, uh, or they might not actually be as successful as they expect to be, right? Exactly. The, the crazy thing about teaching, let's say speaking on 
these exams is that there are very specific, um, as you said, kind of parameters in which the task has to fit. So even a student who's very high in speaking fluency, who's very confident in speaking, once you sort of try to translate that into the confines of the exam task, it can get really difficult. Like, for example, the TOEFL exam, I know one of the speaking sections is one of the first speaking questions, it seems very simple. It will have a, a very general prompt for the student to talk about, like, describe your favorite film, uh, which seems easy enough. But the way the exam works is that the students speak into a computer and they don't actually speak to a human. It just records them. And when they're taking the exam, they're shown the question. Then they have, I believe, 15 seconds to prepare mentally and then 45 seconds to speak. So even a very, very proficient speaker, once you, you start that timer, it gets really hard and really stressful. Yeah. Uh, so just knowing that format of the exam and being able to practice, you know, giving them, as you said, examples, and then being able to practice, practice with students over and over is um, essential for success on the exam. Yeah, I, I think that the students tend to kind of uh, underestimate the value of practice. I mean, like mm -hmm. drilling and, and doing it again and again and again. I mean, it's just like any other skill in life, I think. Maybe if you want to ride a bicycle, the more times you actually ride it, you will actually become kind of an expert in riding a bicycle. Right. This, this, this transfers to anything we do, right? I mean, and tests are not the exception. I mean, like uh, so, sometimes people might be a little bit too confident and say, uh, I have a very good level of English, as you were saying. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I can actually just see the test and that's it. But uh, actually, sometimes I have seen students being more successful, those that actually practice more, as opposed to those that maybe having a better level of English, but who didn't or who decided exactly. uh, practice was not necessary. So definitely that's a good suggestion, Sharon. Like they, they need yeah. to make sure that their level of English matches the same amount of practice because that's going to uh, not guarantee, but in a way help them maybe achieve the score they need. Yes, because a lot of these exam tasks, they are about fluency and about language ability, but they're also very formulaic. So a lot of the time doing well on these specific tasks just involves learning this particular formula that's going to help the student do well on the task and then having the student practice that structure that formula over and over as we've been saying so for that speaking task example that i gave with the favorite film you know in 45 seconds if that's all the time you have to speak you need to go in with a strategy for how you're going to organize your verbal response you know like okay so i'm going to first say my favorite movie and then I'm going to give two reasons why I like that movie and then I'm going to conclude with you know one sentence about what how many times I've watched it or how I feel when I watch it or whatever right. um, so having that and then practicing that over and over with different prompts but the same sort of formulaic response I think minimizes the chance of error on the actual exam absolutely yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about speaking and writing online. Are there any other tools or online resources that you can recommend specifically for teaching exam classes online? There are plenty. I mean, the good thing of internet is that now it provides with plenty of options. <laughs> yes. but, but I mean, for, uh, let, let's talk about just maybe two or three that are maybe really, really good. Uh, first of all, I mean, now teachers, especially in this uh, period of the pandemic. I mean, we are getting more familiar with platforms or conference tools. Mm -hmm. So to, to talk about very, very briefly, so obviously one that is very, very common is Zoom. Zoom is very good to actually give our students some practice and some exposure 
yes, uh, of the exams. We can also use Skype if you have access to Skype. And there mm -hmm. are other platforms like Vedamo. There are uh, platforms like, um, let's see here. Uh, you can also use interactive boards, yes, when you're yeah. teaching to show mm -hmm. examples. W one that I have found very, very useful, uh, let me see here, is actually called idrew.com. That, uh, that is idrwo.com. Maybe we can provide a link to our listeners. Oh, yes, um, I can do that in the show notes. Great. <laughs> thank you very much. Mm -hmm. uh, another one that is quite useful is Google Jamboard. That's, that's also very useful to provide examples. Um, I think that for both the iDrew and Google Jamboard, I mean, there are some features that, I mean, luckily us are free, but some of the features we need to pay for but if teachers have a good number of students and they think it's actually worth investing, they definitely should. Uh, in terms of websites, I found two very, very useful. There is one that is uh, www.examenglish.com. Uh, in this website, actually, you will find information almost about every single proficiency test. Uh, and you will actually see information in terms of the structure, some practice tests, and there are some tools actually to more or less predict your score. So this is a very good website. And there is another that is uh, Cambridge um, driven, Cambridge control, that is www.cambridgeenglish.org uh, forward slash learning English forward slash exam preparation. <laughs> it's a very long one. So I had to actually Great. read it here. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you can just much. link. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously here we find those that are obviously um, produced by Cambridge, so to speak. But the first one actually includes those by Cambridge and by other institutions like TOEFL, like IELTS. So the first Great. one is kind of a more generic one. And the second one is more specific to those that are Cambridge uh, controlled, so to speak. Perfect. Okay, so that sounds like a great place to get an overview if you're just getting into exam preparation to get a nice overview of what all of the exams require and what to expect. Absolutely. And, and obviously, I mean, th these are very good online tools. But another thing that we cannot... Um, you know, like set aside or ignore mm -hmm. is definitely the help of um, teachers that have more experience with exams. And obviously, if we can ask for some advice in terms of uh, how to provide more effective feedback. Um, so teachers need, I mean, teachers that are going to conduct um, test-oriented lessons need to know a lot. So make sure that maybe you confer ideas with fellow teachers to make sure that you are providing your students with the best options possible, yes? And they need to also get familiar with, uh, we were talking about this before, with criteria. If, mm -hmm. if a teacher is starting, especially a teacher is starting to do test-oriented lessons, is not quite familiar with criteria. So that's the very first step. They need to definitely get familiar with these and make sure that they understand it solidly to make sure that they can then provide uh, students with a good service, clear service, I would say. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely something like anything else that teachers get better at the more they practice it and the more they learn about it. But absolutely, as a, as a teacher looking to teach exam prep for the first time, it's not enough just to be a good English teacher. You really do need to research the exam that you're preparing a student for and make sure you really understand the ins and outs. Um, and as Ricardo said, the assessment criteria of that individual exam and of the individual tasks on the exam. 
Um, and there are tons of online resources you can use to do that. You can check with other teachers who have more exam prep experience. Um, or I found it very helpful just to purchase, or if your language school has this book already, an exam preparation book, like if you're teaching for the IELTS exam, you know, purchase a book or access a book of IELTS exams. You can find a book that's like eight IELTS exams or something, and they'll give you the actual previous tests. And then you can see exactly how the exam is structured. Those books often have example responses with um, commentary about why the response was successful or not. So you can kind of figure out what's expected of students. Right, I, I agree with that recommendation, Shannon. Yeah, definitely um, exam preparation books are really good. Um, and yes, it's a good idea to actually take a look at the comments. Yes, mm -hmm. again, uh, as a teacher to understand this very, very clearly to, to help students as much as possible. Yep, and that will help as well too, even with the speaking and the writing that we talked about. Some of those books even have recordings of students' responses. Um, so it'll have, for example, a high-level response recorded and then a low-level response recorded. And you can play those for students and even ask them, you know, okay, so why do you think this response was successful? Or why do you think this response was not successful? And kind of analyze the things that went well and didn't go well and then um, use that as a jumping off point for the student in structuring his or her own response. Right. Uh, another tool that I think that, I mean, nowadays we use it all the time is YouTube videos, of course, oh, and, and yeah. Cambridge also have YouTube videos of every single test they actually do. And I have seen examples of FCE, CAE, mm -hmm. and then they, they even give kind of, uh, I don't think they can disclose the actual score sometimes, or sometimes, I mean, I, I'm not sure if they, when they do, it's actually right. right. Uh, be, because in a way, I mean, all, all of this is a little bit secretive and you can, they cannot kind of uh, reveal too much of how they actually assess but I mean that that I mean those examples could actually work as you were mm -hmm. saying to, to to maybe analyze together I mean teacher and students and analyze different parts and they can maybe focus on only one of the criteria of two of the criteria or all of the criteria for that matter I mean to to help students improve Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about it now, but the nice thing about teaching online with exam preparation courses is that, you know, normally if you bring something like that into the classroom, the YouTube video, the recordings, um, uh, technology for the student to record him or herself, you know, as a practice, you're having to bring technology into the classroom. But if you're already teaching online, your classroom is technology already. Absolutely. Uh, so it's a very smooth transition to bring those technological tools to your lessons because you're already kind of using all of them. Right. Yeah, so very easy to watch a YouTube video together or to play a recording on the computer that you're already on for the student to hear um, or have the student record their response in the meeting or something like that. Right. And, and, and actually, I mean, I would think of doing this recording that they can have access to this wherever they go, whenever they are maybe uh, commuting somewhere or maybe they are resting at home and maybe they mm -hmm. are kind of, uh, they, they want to even practice more. They can actually come back to the video or the audio only and just again, practice and practice, which we talk about. I mean, the value of practice is very important. Exactly. And they could do some self-correction as well, you know, listening to their responses and then reformulating the response, as we've said, how important practice is being able to listen to that recording and hear where they hesitated or where they used the wrong grammar or something and then improve upon their own response. Yeah, that's right. 
uh, they can actually do it in Paris. Why not? I mean, they can maybe sure. do some um, group, uh, some study groups, and then they can actually uh, analyze each other's uh, performance, and then they can help each other. Yeah, there are many ways, Sharon. So, uh, but definitely, I think that we were suggesting is. Uh, they, they need to do as much exposure and practice as possible because exams are not easy. Um, no. And then they, they really demand, as we were saying, I mean, first of all, a good level of English, but more than anything, knowledge about the test and practice for the test. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're just sort of coming to the end of our episode for this week, but is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up um, in terms of advice or anything else you'd like to say about teaching exam preparation in general or online? Uh, thank you, Sharon, for the invitation, first of all. And yeah, I mean, um, I think that my general suggestion to teachers is don't be afraid of maybe trying this. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. if this is the first time that you have actually done exam preparation, it's not as hard. Um, it just needs prepping as anything else. Um, so just, just make sure, I mean, that you invest enough time analyzing the formats and analyzing the different areas that you need to um, understand very well to help students, yes, as solidly as possible. So that's my general advice. Excellent. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for this, Ricardo. It was very helpful. I appreciate your time and your insight on this topic. And I'm looking forward to talking, you, talking to you, excuse me, again sometime soon. Thank you very much for the invitation. Hear you Bye. soon. <laughs> yes, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at tefelhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.